in the system. I sat in the windowless bowels of O'Hare Airport, waiting for my face-to-face -face global entry interview. Nick had urged me to sign up, not because I deserved recognition as a trusted traveler, but solely to bypass TSA and immigration lines. I've always objected to such elitist programs on principle. Line cutting in the grade school cafeteria was my first brush with social injustice. Now such behavior has been institutionalized for those willing to pay the $100 fee. My interview was quick. A snoozy customs officer asked me a few perfunctory questions about my job and then casually asked me to place my hand on the digital fingerprint scanner. I hesitated, but I had made the trip to O'Hare and had paid the fee. I set aside my aversion to line cutting and placed my hand on the sensor. Within 15 seconds, another uneasiness set in. I imagined my fingerprints, my right hand pointer through pinky, winging their way across the country to the growing FBI database. I was now indelibly, inexorably, inextricably ensconced in the system. Yes, the government can identify me in a variety of ways, through my social security number, driver's license registration, and at least on law and order, the detectives have easy access to my bank records, credit card purchases, and telephone calls. These are all just assigned numbers, but my fingerprints are in a totally different category. They announce my physical presence, from birth to death and beyond, and I had just blithely given them away, all for the sake of convenience. The man has me in his grasp. We are told that fingerprints are the best way to safeguard our identity, but they are also the easiest and most definitive way to reveal it. In this jittery post-Snowden society, who do I fear most? Terrorists, identity thieves, or my government? I had the same queasy feeling 30 years ago when the government required my fingerprints as a condition of my job at the VA hospital. In this pre-digital era, my ink-stained tips were merely pressed onto a flimsy card. I had convinced myself that this record must have gotten lost in the shuffle. Who would want a smudgy card from a newly minted physician? Now all prints are durably digitized and stored in the FBI's tentacle database. Originally, civilian fingerprints, such as mine, were kept separate from criminal fingerprints. The FBI has merged the databases. Both are searchable. In addition to the FBI, states and large cities maintain their own databases. Fingerprints as a means of identity go back thousands of years. Whether inadvertent or intentional, fingerprints adorn 6,000-year-old clay pots. The Chinese first used fingerprints for identification as early as 200 B.C. Criminal investigators in the United States first used them in 1903, based on refined classification systems. For example, fingerprints fall into three basic patterns, loops, whorls, and arches. These patterns can be used for exclusionary purposes. However, a definitive match requires further detail based on the fingerprint's minutiae i.e. where the ridge ends, bifurcates, or is an isolated island. When detectives refer to a 10-point match, they are referring to the minutiae. 
Primates, i.e. humans, apes, and monkeys, and oddly enough, koala bears are the only animals with fingerprints, which may represent the vestiges of scales used to enhance grasping. Fingerprints emerge as early as 10 weeks of gestational age and are fully developed complete with minutia by 16 weeks, a type of research that seems both esoteric and grisly. However, genetics dictate only the presence of fingerprints, but not their specific pattern. Even the fingerprints of identical twins are distinct, an observation that escaped the editors of a recent Law and Order episode. Embryologists have proposed a variety of environmental factors impacting the pattern, including mechanical forces in the cramped uterus. These theories remain unproven, but the bottom line is that the multitude of factors makes two identical fingerprints statistically impossible. I imagine my origins as a fetus, my paw-like hands bobbing in the watery soup, skimming along the silken veil of the amniotic membrane. And all the while my friction ridges were whirling, looping, arching, and bifurcating to create the most visible testimony of my uniqueness. It was time to spend quality moments with my fingertips. I pressed each into an ink pad, but the resulting print was too smudgy, and I became jealous of high-resolution digital images. I borrowed a botanist's magnifying loop, and adjusting the light and angles, I could briefly see the elusive designs. I was besotted. Elegant loops leaned left and right on my index and pinky fingers, and my ring and swear fingers featured utterly stunning whirls. Tightly compact, perfectly symmetrical, my world fingerprint is a pattern seen throughout nature, such as in the coils of a fiddlehead fern, the snail, the seeds of a sunflower, or the curl of a centipede. The proportions of this configuration, known as Fibonacci's golden ratio, are thought to be particularly appealing from a visual standpoint. The golden ratio has captivated mathematicians, philosophers, biologists, architects, and artists such as Van Gogh, who painted not only sunflowers, but fingerprint-like worlds in his starry night. I was pleased to have a golden ratio all of my own right at my fingertips. This close-up view made my fingerprints deeply personal, but our legal system does not share my big, warm, and fuzzy embrace. Fingerprints are held in low regard compared to the theoretically more personal DNA sample. The supposedly invasive oral swab requires probable cause, judicial review, and a court order. In contrast, a fingerprint is held to the vague standard of reasonable suspicion. No court order necessary. The courts have acknowledged that reasonable suspicion cannot be objectively defined, stating only, quote, a reasonable person in the same circumstances could suspect that a person has been, is, or is about to be engaged in a criminal activity, end quote. If one accepts the logical premise that the leader of the free world should set the standard for a reasonable man, well then, get ready. The discretion of police has just ballooned to an alarming degree. Mobile fingerprinting devices now make it easier for police to act on their reasonable suspicion. For example, the police cannot haul someone down to the precinct for the express purpose of taking a fingerprint.
This is considered an unlawful detention, prohibited by the Fourth Amendment. Mobile fingerprinting has removed that check. Imagine a big barroom brawl. I get caught up in the melee as the police storm in and demand everyone's fingerprint on the basis of reasonable suspicion. The fingerprint is whisked off to the FBI, and boom, up pops an outstanding warrant. The above scenario would never apply to me because I rarely go into bars, but I do feel the slippery earth trembling and shifting beneath me. My debut global entry experience occurred this winter as we arrived from New Zealand. I followed the signs to an expansive bank of idle kiosks. Nick only applied for the inferior TSA designation, and so was shunted off to the general line. I felt my familiar elitist line-cutting guilt as I saw his bobbing head inch along the snaked line. I pressed my passport on the scanner, and a light flash took a dazed, gap-mouthed picture of me. Then the fingerprint scanner emitted a sickly green light. I hesitated, but then thought, What the hell, I'm already in the system. I put my hand on the scanner and passed through quickly. Ten minutes later, Nick joined me. I had sacrificed my fingertips for the convenience of ten measly minutes. Iris scans and facial recognition are the next biometric technologies on the horizon. Will the courts offer them the same protection as a DNA sample, or lump them in with a humble fingerprint? Will it be probable cause or reasonable suspicion? One thing for sure, I will not willingly give them up to the man. Unless, of course, there's a convenience factor of at least 30 to 40 minutes.